Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.57 a.m. the 10th of February 2021. This is episode 364 of Bitcoin and I got all my Bitcoin back. How did that happen? Oh God, dude. I had not one, but two Ledger Nano S hardware wallet devices. And both of them, not one, but both, because I had two for a backup. It was actually, the backup was a clone of the original one. And the way that you made a clone or the way that you can make a clone is you just get another hardware wallet, uh, either the very same device uh, so that you're assured that the derivation path of the uh, uh, wallet is going to uh, go to basically read the same the same wallet. Or you get a different device that has the exact same derivation path as the original device that you made your wallet on so that it would be able to function with that very same wallet. Okay. So what happened? Well, I have a lot of software that um, I use that I don't really want to move over to Windows 10 or something like that. Um, So I have an older operating system. If you are a man in a coma, listen carefully. Bitcoin is supposed to be able, you're supposed to be able to store your Bitcoin offline in a hardware wallet or some, you know, some such device. You may use Glacier Protocol for all I know. And if you don't know what Glacier Protocol is, it's probably the best protocol in the whole wide world for storing Bitcoin for long periods of time in the most safest way possible. However, go Google Glacial Protocol for Bitcoin and see just how involved that shit really is. And you'll end up with a hardware wallet. But you're supposed to be able to like literally you know, get into a car wreck, get into a coma for 10 years, come out, ask the nurse what price Bitcoin is, freak the hell out, go home, get your hardware wallet, plug it in, and all your Bitcoin's there, right? Not necessarily. Not if you're a Ledger user. Here's why. They stopped Ledger, okay, stopped supporting Ledger Live um, for my particular version of Windows, like, like a year ago. And it's critical that the firmware of the actual hardware device is up to date. So you have to update that with Ledger Live, which is a web application, which I don't like in the first place. And I never did when they introduced Ledger Live. Uh, But I wasn't moving Bitcoin around. So I just didn't, you know, I didn't pay it much mind and I damn well should have. Because now I go to my Ledger Live and I plug in my Ledger and it says, okay, you got to update your firmware. And I go, okay, let's do that bad boy. And we did that bad boy. And my first one froze. 
it's stuck on a screen that says update. The actual device itself has a little screen and it says update and it won't go past it. Half of the time, Ledger Live actually dies when I, when I crank it up on my PC because the software is not, is not supporting. Uh, I can't get it to update because it, Ledger Live doesn't support my version of Windows. So I can't update Ledger Live. Ledger Live is now unstable somehow or another with my version of Windows, whereas before it wasn't, and I can't update the software, so I don't know what the hell's going on there. That's a another issue altogether. Suffice it to say, I go, well, I got a backup. Like a good little Bitcoiner, I got a backup. Yay for backups, right? Not necessarily if you're using a ledger. I plug this son of a bitch in and the exact same thing happened for the exact same reasons. Ledger Live is not updated on my computer. I can't get it to update on my computer because it's not going to be built. The new one is not built for my version of Windows. And when I plug in the the hardware device to update the firmware, it as eventually after a couple of white screen issues and, and booting ledger live back up, it just freezes and it, and it too is now stuck on the update screen. Oh shit. Oh shit. What do you do? Well, you ask for a second opinion. My, in my case, I asked Matt Odell because <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I know what to do, but I'm pretty sure I need to get a second, second pair of eyeballs on this. The fix is you better have your seed phrase or not seed phrase, but the seed words that your wallet generated when you first cranked up your wallet and you built or your hardware device and you used it to build a wallet, you better keep those seed words. And here's why. And not only the seed words, you need to find your derivation path. We'll get to that in a sec. So why? Well, it turns out that it doesn't matter what the hardware device is if it's building a regular old Bitcoin wallet, okay? It's going to have to follow certain rules <clears throat> laid down by <clears throat> basically by the protocol uh, to build said wallets. Now, there's a situation where different wallets can do it in different ways, but they all have to follow rules that anyone else can follow. It just depends on which rules the device chooses when it builds the wallet. So my ledger built a wallet according to a certain derivation path, All right? So it gave me 24 words, right? So I wrote like a good little boy, I wrote them all down. I had, I did not, however, write down the derivation path because I didn't really think, I, I wasn't thinking at the time. This was a long time ago when I spun that wallet up, right? So turns out that walletsrecovery.org, which is run by Rodolfo Novak and Janine, which is, I think, J9Roam, R-O-A-M. Uh, she's part of the, oh, God, oh, there's a whole crew of, of people that I should know. Oh, God, I can't think of the name of, the, of their YouTube channel right now. Shame on me. But Janine and Rodolfo has built this thing, and they go they list every single hardware wallet and software wallet they can find and they list what their derivation paths are. I'm like, Oh, okay, well, great. Because now like, and this came from, from Matt Odell. He's like, dude, you can, you can, re you can definitely recover your wallet in Electrum. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Let's, let's go ahead and spin up, spin up Electrum, see what happens. So I do that. I go download Electrum from, uh, was it Electrum.org? 
not .com, okay? It's got to be from the .org. Get that thing going, <clears throat> and it gives me a window where it says, do you want to do a new wallet? And I say, yes, I would very much like to make a new wallet. And then, uh, well, actually, what it says is there's a, there's a drop-down list uh, under new wallet that says basically new slash restore. Restore is the same thing as recover. So when I hit new restore, it gives me an option to restore from seed. When I restore from seed and, or select restore from seed, I'm not creating a new wallet. I'm restoring an old wallet. So I get my ledger seed, seed words and I type them in. And then lo and behold, there's a little button after it all, after it all is said and done that says basically scan for accounts. I hate the, the fact that they use the word accounts, but they do. It says scan for accounts. It goes into the blockchain and it says, aha, here's all the transactions that have ever been made by this wallet. And here are all the balances of UTXOs in this wallet. And boom, my Bitcoin was just there, which I immediately started moving yesterday to my brand new cold card wallet via Spectre desktop uh, on my node BTC, which is on my Raspberry Pi 4. It's my Bitcoin full node that I run consistently and constantly as much as I possibly can. Uh, every once in a while, we do get power outages and it has to reboot back up and resync and, and get a hold of its peers. But mo for the most part, it's on 24 seven. And I was able to get all of my Bitcoin over to my cold card wallet via Spectre. So if you are having an issue or you want to leave Ledger or whatever hardware wallet you want and go to somewhere else, remember, not if you're going to spin up or, or restore your wallet made from one hardware device on a different device, whether hardware or software, you need not only your seed words, you need your derivation path to make sure that you're going to spin up the exact same wallet. Wallets, I think it's, let me, let me just make sure, I'm just going to make sure here because uh, I got it in my buffer or my cash. Uh, wallets with an S, walletsrecovery.org, okay? walletsrecovery.org is all one word. That website will show you, unless you've got just the weirdest hardware wallet that nobody's ever heard of, <clears throat> I don't think the new Jade wallet is on there yet. Not sure. I wasn't looking for it. Or some weird off, you know, brand, you know, software wallet. Uh, you're going to be able to recover. You're probably going to be able to recover your wallet. Electrum has uh, worked very, very well for me. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I'd never really used Electrum before, but it was pretty intuitive. It seems really lightweight. Um, I was happy with it and I was able to get my all of my old wallet back. Now, the only problem with Ledger is if you've got a bag of shit coin that is contained within your original uh, hardware wallet that was spun up with your Ledger, Electrum cannot help you. Okay, so if you're doing this to recover your Ethereum, I'm sorry, it's not going to work, at least not as far as I know. And this is was the whole reason why people were pissed at Ledger in the first place is that they kept adding every shit coin under the sun to their little hardware device, which in my opinion has made it basically unstable. When I first got my hardware wallet, all it supported was like Litecoin and Bitcoin and I 
for the, for the life of me, Dogecoin. It had a Dogecoin wallet on it. Anyway, so <clears throat> my Dogecoin bag is still in limbo. And guess what? I literally couldn't care less. I just couldn't. All right, let's start off the morning roundup here. Elon Musk gives one piece of advice to cryptocurrencies hodlers. Uh, Liam Frost is going to tell us about it from Decrypt.co. Tesla CEO Elon Musk just gave out one piece of advice, implying that crypto fans should not use apps like Robinhood and PayPal in order to store Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. During a back-and-forth exchange with FreeWallet, he reproached the app for lacking one important feature. Quote, any crypto wallet that won't give you your private keys should be avoided at all costs. Musk tweeted to Free Wallet. Let's pause just to remember how I opened the show. That's why. That is, that's, one, that's one of the major reasons why. The other reason why is that if you don't have your private keys, then somebody else does. And in this case, it's going to be Robinhood and PayPal. But beyond that, if you ever have a hope in hell of recovering your, pri- your wallet that you were able to help hold privately, you need your private keys. In this case, I was able to restore those keys with my seed words. So not only do you need your private, like you would hope that these wallets would give you your private keys, that they also need to be able to give you a way to recover those private keys. In this particular case, the BIP39 seed words. Uh, there are other, other types, but just keep that in mind. Free Wallet is an online app that lets you store Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, but it doesn't let you look after your own private keys. In that conversation, Musk explained that his wallet was locked and Free Wallet shortly managed to solve his issues. Oh, God. But his comment can aptly <clears throat> apply more widely to many high profile apps. Robinhood and PayPal are two of the most well known apps that allow their users to buy and sell crypto, but one key thing that they both lack is the ability to custody your own coins. This is the ability to possess your own private keys and send your coins outside of the app. This means that while you get a nice price exposure, you don't possess the coins in the same way as if you held them in your own wallet. In the blockchain world, users can retain full control over their funds via private keys and seed phrases. A private key essentially acts as a password, allowing you to spend your coins. It can also be translated into a 12-word seed phrase to make it easier to write down, but you can store cryptocurrencies in your own wallet Without the need to trust any third party, there is a mantra in the crypto community called not your keys, not your coins. This means that unless you actually hold the private keys to your own coins, you're not really holding them. In fact, someone else is holding them for you. And with the underlying ethos of being your own bank and not trusting intermediaries, diehard crypto fans tend to shun any app that doesn't let you have your private keys. And now that group of fanatics includes Musk, whose company Tesla, as you probably know, invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin last month. Cannot iterate how many times just the how important it is to control your own keys. And while, honestly, it can be nerve-wracking, it's, it's just part of the game. Self-custody means personal responsibility. And when I fuck up, like I fucked up with this using Ledger and trusting them, Man, I wasn't doing myself any favors for sleep. Uh, how I saw viewed the world. I birds chirping and you know in the morning and shit were like, "Shut up! I hate you. I hate everything because I'm freaking out over here." So just honestly, be careful. 
be careful out there and and take the advice of holding your own keys. But man, be vigilant. Be ever, ever vigilant. <clears throat> now, Musk, again, I mean, is he is he being likely illegal tweeting about Bitcoin? Will Gottensen is going to tell us about it. Elon Musk's Bitcoin tweets move markets. Is that illegal? This is for Decrypt.co. In July of last year, a Twitter user asked Elon Musk for some Bitcoin. It was almost certainly a gag, a reference to a hack that roped major accounts, including Musk's, into a transparent crypto scam. And Musk responded in kind, pointing towards a more unsung digital asset. Excuse me, I only sell Doge. The reference here is to Dogecoin, the meme coin created by two bored tech workers back in 2013 as a sort of commentary on the trust as value proposition underpinning the broader cryptoverse. Named after a meme involving involving a friendly Shiba Inu, the currency's value was self-consciously artificial. <clears throat> the point was to mime the logic of viral image macros than, uh, than to revolutionize the financial system. After its brief moment in the sun, Dogecoin more or less faded into the background during the second half of 2010, uh, the 2010s, as crypto networks like Bitcoin and Ethereum continued to dominate. But thanks to Musk's endorsement and a string of increasingly unhinged subsequent endorsements, the price of a single Dogecoin has fluctuated wildly. His tweets about Bitcoin have also caused market movements. Now that Tesla is $1.5 billion deep into Bitcoin, Musk publicly shared his perspective on the crypto markets is somewhat more complicated. <clears throat> Musk's penchant for seemingly spontaneous tweets will always have the potential to cause trouble, but lawyers tell Decrypt that he's still probably within legal bounds. In the wake of last month's Reddit-fueled GameStop short squeeze, Musk pushed the slogan like Dogecoin is the people's crypto and who let the doge out? Oh, God, Musk. He tweeted out a poll labeled the future of currency on Earth with two choices, Dogecoin to the moon and all other crypto combined. The former received 71.3% of the vote. Oh, God. There's also a photoshopped image of Elon Musk as Rafiki, the lion <clears throat> from the Lion King holding up Simba Doge hybrid, which has been liked over a million times. Musk, who has 46 million followers on Twitter, has clarified that his Dogecoin posts are really just meant to be jokes. But according to a recent study from the Blockchain Research Lab, they still exert significant influence over the market. One December tweet sent the price up 8% in five minutes. And the same goes for Bitcoin. When Musk added the Bitcoin hashtag to his Twitter bio, the market jumped by nearly 20%. Since Tesla, Tesla, sorry, since Tesla announced his $1.5 billion investment in Bitcoin earlier this week, the question of whether Musk can continue to tweet reckless things about cryptocurrencies is less clear cut. Musk has been a Twitter troll for years and has faced scrutiny for careless posts and mis misinformation in the past. Last year, his infamous suggestion that Tesla stock price is too high sent shares down $60 in minutes. In 2018, he wrote that he planned to take the company private at a share price of 420, which resulted in a scolding from the SEC. <laughs> I think he actually got fined on that one. So, can Musk keep arbitrarily inflating the crypto market? CEOs such as Twitter's Jack Dorsey and MicroStrategy's Michael Saylor, both are whom both of whom are heavily invested in crypto, promote Bitcoin and Twitter, uh, Bitcoin on Twitter all the time. But lawyers tell Decrypt it probably couldn't hurt to exercise a little bit more caution. Quote, now that Tesla is known to have a substantial holding in Bitcoin, a greater degree of caution would be advisable when Tesla officers speak about Bitcoin on Twitter 
said Preston Byrne, a partner at Anderson Kill. Oh, God. What a name for a law, law firm. Dewey, Dewey Skinnem and Howe and Anderson Kill. Quote, CEOs of companies with substantial Bitcoin holdings will need to be very careful before take, uh, talking their Bitcoin books in a fashion that might move the markets to ensure their statements are not part of anything which might be viewed as a manipulative or deceptive device or contrivance in the context of either the commodity or securities domain, he said. One example of a deceptive device or contrivance might be a typical pump and dump scheme, which involves talking up a particular asset, suckering in new buyers to raise the price, and then exiting your positions before the inevitable crash. In Bitcoin's case, such schemes would be handled by the Commodities Futures Trading Commission rather than the SEC since Bitcoin isn't considered a security. That's kind of key here, guys. Other cryptocurrencies such as Ethereum-based tokens could be considered securities and regulated by the SEC. Both the SEC and CFTC, as well as the U.S. Department of Justice, have the ability to investigate and bring forth charges should they suspect fraud, even with regard to crypto assets, said Byrne. Eric Goldman, a law professor at Santa Clara University, explained that questionable tweets, however, offer some wiggle room thanks to what he called the fast and furious nature of online discourse. In general, courts routinely assume that most readers of internet content, especially in a forum like Twitter, do not take social media posts seriously. I know several people that take them seriously. What are you talking about? Anyway, uh, having said that, market regulators, especially organizations like the SEC, are very much alert to the risk of pump and dump schemes, uh, Mr. Burns said. According to Goldman, Musk's adding the Bitcoin hashtag to his Twitter bio is probably nowhere close to that line. Uh, While Musk may be safe from government regulators for now, or may be safe from government regulators for now, his addiction to erratic meme-based posting remains a potential liability, though, uh, though who among us can't relate. Okay, you know, honestly, at one point or another, people are going to have to stop taking this shit so seriously. Seriously. You got to take it. You you can't take it so seriously. It's, It's not healthy, man. It's also not healthy to, you know, be a person that's like trying to say something and, and on the fly is having to guard and, and investigate every single word in order as it comes out of their mouth to, to identify potential problems. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's, this is like sort of like beyond a squelch of free speech. This is something that's like just hurts the human mind. It, it, it just hurts. It's like you can't type something and without like four editors, you know, pairs of eyeballs on it. You can't tweet something without somebody looking over your shoulder saying, oh, that's probably going to piss, piss off the people that, that are going to call you racist. It's, it, at this point, you might as well just be muffled or muzzled. Well, wait a minute. We are. Rona. Oh, well. Tesla's Bitcoin buy may trigger wave or may not trigger wave of corporate demand, says J.P. Morgan. Demand? I think you spelled wishes wrong. Yeah. Uh, Amkar Godbull is going to tell us about it from Coindesk. Uh, While crypto traders foresee major corporates copying Tesla's decision to invest in Bitcoin, investment bank J.P. Morgan suggests otherwise. Well, of course you do. Quote, the main issue with the idea that mainstream corporate treasurers will follow the example of Tesla is the volatility of Bitcoin. Yeah, it ain't Bitcoin that's volatile, dude. 
<clears throat> Tesla, the Fortune 500 electric car maker headed by Elon Musk, disclosed its Bitcoin investments worth $1.5 billion on Monday, sending the cryptocurrency to fresh record highs above $48,000. Crypto traders expect other corporates to follow suit, arguing Tesla has validated Bitcoin's appeal as a reserve asset. Yeah, uh, they would be this. They would be quote quote unquote. They seconded it after uh, Michael Saylor uh, put it on the table. However, according to J.P. Morgan strategist, the corporate portfolio's risk level would rise significantly, even with a small exposure to Bitcoin, and that could keep other companies from buying in. Quote, corporate treasury portfolios are typically stuffed with bank deposits, money market funds, and short-dated bonds, meaning that annualized volatility or the range of swings during the course of a year hovers around 1%, J.P. Morgan wrote. Uh, adding that 1% Bitcoin exposure could cause a significant increase in the portfolio's volatility to as much as ooh, a whopping single-digit 8%. <clears throat> the bank strategist, however, acknowledged the positive impact on Tesla's investment on the Bitcoin market. Quote, there is no doubt that this week's announcement changed abruptly the near-term trajectory for Bitcoin by bolstering inflows and by helping Bitcoin to break out above the 40K level, they said. JP Morgan had turned bearish on Bitcoin last month following the cryptocurrency's failure to keep gains above $40,000. Bitcoin spent three weeks in the $30,000 to $40,000 range after setting the then lifetime high of $41,962 on January the 8th. This, the breakout from that range came Monday following Tesla's announcement. The short-term thinking of these people is it, honestly as frightening as 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 frightening as it can get. Oh my God. It just can't break. It's been three weeks, everybody. Three weeks. What the, where the hell did you learn money stuff from at your money? What money school did you go to? Honestly, this is, the, it's just weird seeing these people freak out about something that's like, is trading sideways for two weeks. So what? <laughs> Welcome to Bitcoin, motherfucker. Death to identity taxes, says Obi Nwosu. He's writing this one sometime yesterday for the btctimes.com. No one enjoys paying sales tax, but it is at least one of the more transparent ways for the state to raise revenue, especially when compared to printing money. But there's a payment that, that's arguably as pernicious as any government levy, and which most of us make without thinking about it, this is the daily tax on identity that every internet user pays each time we use a free service, and free is in quotes. These days, the old adage of, if it's free, then you're the product is common currency. Uh, you're as likely to hear here. Sorry, you're as likely to hear it from your granny over tea and fruitcakes at a Silicon Valley conference. Um, everybody knows that freedom isn't free, even if they have little idea of the scale of what's being sold. So what's truly astonishing is not the not mind boggling value of our personal data. Uh, the digital marketing sector is set to reach over $1 trillion by 2027. Good God. <clears throat> it's the fact that so many of us happily accept this unprecedented intrusion into our most sensitive secrets as merely quote, the cost of doing internet. The days of the identity tax are numbered, although the herald of a better, fairer, and more transparent internet is not who you might expect. As CEO of Apple, a company that makes expensive, shiny lifestyle devices, Tim Cook is not bound by the code that governs data-based behemoths. This enables him to pick fights on privacy with the likes of Google or, as we saw last week, Facebook. 
obviously a ding-dong between the heads of two tech titans for compelling copy, and some sections of the media had a field day with inc.com claiming, claiming, quote, Tim Cook may have just ended Facebook. (laughs) For once, the hyperbole wasn't misplaced. Uh, Facebook's days are surely numbered. Even if it's not Cook who will kill it, it'll be us. Because each day, more of us realize that collecting and selling our most sensitive data, including manipulating and profiting from our base emotions, comes at a price. This has been a lucrative business model in the short term, but at the, comp- at the cost of transparency and data self-sovereign identity. And increasingly, people realize that the feelings of inadequacy and FOMO they get from their friends' carefully curated news feeds isn't worth what they pay. So, will Tim Cook's criticism topple those empires that depend on gobbling up our personal data? Uh, Not on its own, no. To do that, we need to show that another future is not only possible but preferable and that's what's so what's so many people are getting so badly wrong about Bitcoin. They see it as merely a competitor to fiat currency and completely miss the point that it is the prototype for a de-identified and decentralized future. Bitcoin doesn't identify and manipulate you because it can't. Not today, not ever. There's another equally important guarantee that data in harvesting apps are set up for a fall. De-identification leads to a radically better user experience and great User experience converts everyday users into loyal evangelists. Don't believe me? Ask Apple. It's why they became the world's most valuable company. Who doesn't want a world powered by sats, not ads, where we can say goodbye to registration forms, login screens, two-factor authentication, or forgot-my-password processes? The hope and joy with which we greeted Facebook, Google, Amazon, and their ilk has turned sour. The fact that it's impossible to be anonymous on Facebook and that, for example, you can have your Facebook or Oculus subscription canceled if Cupertino finds out that you used a pseudonym. Oh, God, only adds to our sense of powerlessness. Like death and taxes, Facebook's identity levy seems inescapable, but that is the destiny of Bitcoin. As the vanguard of a movement for a new relationship between mankind and technology that is founded not upon identity taxes and data abuse, but on pseudonymity, privacy, and above all, respect. I always love what uh, what this guy says, man. He's a, he's a he's a really good author, and he's really I don't know. He's really tuned into the I think the human spirit. Uh, let's see. Nigerian central bank issues list of reasons for cryptocurrency ban. So they're they're telling their teacher that their dog ate their homework. I guess. Uh, Darius Z is writing this one for btctimes.com as well. The Central Bank of Nigeria last week ordered banks to close the accounts of any entity using cryptocurrencies. Now the institution justifies its actions with a list of reasons. According to a February 8th report by Nigerian news outlet, The Nation, the local central bank's acting director of corporate communications, Osita Nwasiabo, suggested that the privacy features of digital assets have no benefit for legal transactions. Quote, the question that one may need to ask is why any entity would disguise its transactions if they were legal. It is on the basis of this opacity that cryptocurrencies have become well-suited for conducting many illegal activities, including money laundering, terrorist financing, purchase of small arms and light weapons, and tax evasion. End quote. I'm surprised they didn't put child sex trafficking in there like they normally do. 
Anyway, he's gone as far as raising concerns over the nature of the very word cryptocurrency, suggesting that it suggests that its patrons and users value anonymity, obscurity, and concealment. He also cited the use of digital currencies on the deep web for acquiring illegal goods. Of course he did. As an example, he named deep web marketplace Silk Road which was shut down seven years ago. <laughs> he further showed himself alarmed by the use of cryptocurrencies as speculative assets. Quote, repeated and recent evidence now suggests that some cryptocurrencies have become more widely used as speculative assets rather than as a means of payment. Oh, mercy. <laughs> oh, heaven forfend, pal. With the CBN, the, while the CBN appears worried about the anonymity and obscurity connected with cryptocurrency, pseudonymous digital assets like Bitcoin leave behind plenty more traces than cash for law enforcement to follow if they are used for illegal purposes. Still, its supposed role as a tool for criminals is not the only reason why he is wary of Bitcoin. According to the guy whose name I will never be able to pronounce, Bitcoin's limited supply, quote, has created a perverse incentive that encourages users to stockpile them in the hopes that their prices rise. This, he stated, attracted, quote, a conglomeration of desperate, disparate and unregulated actors, which in turn resulted in unprecedented price volatility, keeping institutional investors from investing in Bitcoin. Actually, it, it clearly didn't, but whatever. Recent events contradict his point. On the same day that the CBN statement was published, Tesla purchased $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin, making the firm the latest in a growing list of institutional investors in the asset. Just days prior, Tesla CEO and world's richest person, Elon Musk, suggested, quote, Bitcoin is on the verge of broad acceptance <clears throat> by conventional finance. So, yeah, Nigeria, this, okay. This is going to occur and occur and occur and occur time and time again. And it's always going to be the oldest of the old guard that does this shit. Or the newest of the old guard that has the most to lose. Or at least they are also a speculator in their own rise through to riches and glory through the old guard. The old guard is crumbling. So it very well may be that the oldest people in the old guard are less likely than the newer people that spent their entire childhood trying to get into some kind of position of power, or I mean, like some kind of starting point, some, some start position in the power structure that is the old guard. And they may very well be even more fierce than the people that have already made their money and just want to punch out and go fishing or something like that. Anyway, I don't know. Let's run the numbers. CNBC's futures and commodities has West Texas Intermediate up half a percent. However, apparently it fell yesterday during actual trading because it's back it's it's not back up to its original price. It is standing at $58.68, which is much higher than like the last few weeks. Uh Brent North Sea is coming in at $61.51 a barrel. It is up 0.69%. Natural gas swung to the downside one and a half points. $2.79 gonna buy you a thousand cubic feet of that. Gold is mostly up. Art gold. Shiny metal rocks are mostly up. Gold is up 0.22%. $1,841 for an ounce of that. Silver taking a tumble by half a point, $27.25. 
Platinum, however, is up another 3%, uh, $1,231. Copper is up almost one and a half points, uh, $3.73 for that. Palladium uh, is also up 1.14%, so $2,347 for that. Indices are all in the green, but uh, at meh levels as usual. 0.28 to the upside for the Dow futures, 0.32 up uh, for S&P futures. NASDAQ futures are up 0.32 as well, and the S&P mini is up 0.29. Real money coming at you. Bitcoin's price, $46,459. It looks like I'm going to have a low. That's my high, and I have a low over at HitBTC, 46144 bucks. So, wow, uh, $300 of trading room there. 377,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours, which is basically maxing out the network. That's 15,715 transactions on average every hour. 859,700 BTC were sent in the last 24 hours with about 35,824 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average. Average transaction value is 2.28 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.027 or about, oh God, $1,231. Block times are still low, 9 minutes, 21 seconds. We have 1.21 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and a whopping 183.6 BTC taken in fees over the last 24 hours. Hash rate has fallen precipitously for some God only knows why reason. Uh, almost 7% to the downside brings us back down to 157.7 exahashes per second. What's Doge doing? What Doge always does. Seven cents. Gee, my poor bag of Doge on my ledger. My, how I wish I could get a hold of it and transfer it to Kraken and market sell it for a bit. You know, I don't give a shit. Because that means that some poor idiot will have parted with their Bitcoin to give it to me while they take what is ultimately going to be the largest bag of crap that they ever had. I just, I don't know. I don't think I can bring myself to do it. Clark, help me out here. What's going on with transactions? 71,979 transactions. We'll have to onboard 88 blocks to clear we have a market cap of $852 billion, and that means that one ounce or one ounce, one ounce of Bitcoin will buy you 24.8 ounces of gold. We might as well say it that way, I guess. Bitcoin uh, has captured 7.15% of gold's market cap. There are 1,076.89 BTC in the Lightning Network, and that's right at $50 million in capacity which is the highest I've ever seen it. There is uh, 8,827 lightning nodes running 37,918 lightning channels. We have 53.2% of the lightning network being run over Tor, and that means that there's 572.68 BTC in the Tor side of the lightning network, and that's being run over what appears to be stable 3,377 nodes. That's gonna do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We're going to start with persistence. Bitcoin for everybody. MicroStrategy CEO launches free crypto course. 
spelt Bitcoin wrong, asshole. The MicroStrategy CEO continues to find new ways to spread the Bitcoin gospel. <laughs> he had this planned. You know he did. He had to have because Stephen Levera uh, basically collaborated with Mike uh, to get this shit done. So that shit doesn't happen overnight. This has been planned for a while. <clears throat> Will Gottensgen is going to tell us about it for Decrypt.co and starts off with, if Bitcoin is a religion, then MicroStrategy's Michael Saylor is its high priest. Ugh. I really wish he had to start it that way. Since investing a significant portion of his company's treasury last year, he's been saying things like God's name is Satoshi and likening Bitcoin to a swarm of cyber hornets serving the goddess of wisdom, feeding upon the fire of truth. He held a conference last week in an, in an attempt to get other publicly traded companies on board and predicted an avalanche of new investors would join the crusade. Now, Saylor is bringing Bitcoin to his education oriented nonprofit, the Sailor Academy. A new online course promises to teach Bitcoin economics, investment philosophy, and history, as well as, as its technical and practical components in a 12-hour package. Holy shit. Uh, course details appear to echo some of Sailor's rhetoric. One section interspersed with quotes from the likes of Coleridge and Mark Twain claims Bitcoin will speed humanity's transfer, uh, transformation into a Kardashev type one civilization parentheses. The Kardashev system groups hypothetical civilizations into three categories, depending on their ability to tap energy from the universe. Type one can harness the full energy potential of its own planet. In parentheses. And while there's plenty of evidence to suggest that Bitcoin mining is significantly more energy hungry than the traditional financial system, this is usually not considered a good thing. That the course, wait a minute, that the course is part of Sailor's vision for long-term crypto dominance shouldn't be too surprising. Consider the source. MicroStrategy now holds over $3 billion in Bitcoin. Uh, not the best write-up in the world, but yes, he does. Uh, I, I actually signed up for it. I'm going to take, take the test cold and see what happens before I actually look at the uh, uh, videos. And then take it again because you can take the test anytime, you know, like as many times as you want. But there apparently is a, I think it's anywhere between a three and seven day cool off period before you take the exams. So you can't spam the system, which is, which is good. But it seems, I looked through the course, it seems pretty solid. And like I said, Stephen Levera helped him put it together and he, he's the one that curated pretty much all the content for it. Um, I, so yeah, and I like Steven. He's a he's a good Joe, man. He's a, he's a good name in the space. Now check this shit out. In the annals of quote good luck with that end quote, we have Bitcoin energy debate resurfaces with calls for green hackers to attack the network. Joshua Mapperson is going to tell us about it from Coin Telegraph. Quote: If you're not a green hacker and you're not doing it for the planet, you can also do it for the money by speculating downward on the price of Bitcoin before launching attacks. The exponential rise in Bitcoin's price and hash rate is driving critics to once again, as usual, question the largest blockchain's energy efficiency with calls for green hackers to band together to mount an attack on the network. Openly, openly calling to attack the Bitcoin network people. A self-styled developer and ecologist who goes by the name of Frank Leroy created Twitter and Medium accounts this month to advocate the destruction of the Bitcoin network through ethical hacking. 
In a post titled Green Hackers Around the World, Let's Destroy Bitcoin, Leroy states that Bitcoin is an irrational and destructive financial bubble that is hugely damaging to the climate due to its exorbitant use of electricity. Check out Christmas lights, dude. A third of the article calls on hackers to destroy Bitcoin, stating that the network can be undermined by mounting something similar to a DDoS attack with fake transactions to clog the network and linking to three other sources for other attack ideas, adding, quote, it is not necessary that a computer attack actually take place, but that speculators fear it. If a group of hackers, real or fake, announced an impending attack, the price of Bitcoin would likely collapse. But it's not just fringe medium posts attacking Bitcoin's power consumption. The mainstream media has embraced the narrative as well. A recent article by Bloomberg, uh, quote, Bitcoin is an incredibly dirty business, end quote, suggested that the majority of Bitcoin's energy use comes from coal and other non-renewable sources, comparing the network's carbon footprint to that of New Zealand. And Wall Street Journal columnist Jason Zweig wrote today that Bitcoin mining is on track to consume almost as as much electricity in 2021 as all the world's transportation systems combined did in 2018. Looking behind the figures used by Zweig paints a different picture in the tweet. He references a graph on Bitcoin's electricity consumption by the University of Cambridge. The three lines refer to the upper gray and lower bound, uh, or the upper and lower bounds and the actual estimated consumption. Zweig has used the upper bound currently sitting at 290 terawatt hours, stating that this figure is on track to reach the 2018 global transportation system consumption, which was 390 terawatt hours. However, if one were to take the actual estimate of 120 terawatt hours, the Bitcoin network is on track to account for around 30% of the energy used by the transportation industry in 2018. Many critics refer to the Bitcoin Energy Consumption Index, or BECI, on the Digiconomist website, the BC, BECI states that Bitcoin's annualized carbon footprint, electrical energy consumption, and electronic waste compares to that of New Zealand, Chile, and Luxembourg, respectively. However, Bitcoin proponents such as Marty Bent, oh, congratulations, Uncle Mark, you got in, you got into Coin Cointelegraph. He points out that much of the electricity used to power the Bitcoin network is excess and otherwise unused. In a post today, he wrote, quote, the ruthlessly competitive Bitcoin mining industry forces miners to seek out lowest cost of power production that they can possibly find, which leads them to energy sources that are completely stranded or wasted, end quote. Other proponents note the power used in mining is frequently renewable. Up to half of mining activity occurs in China's Sichuan region, and these miners use the region's hydroelectric power stations where possible. However, these plants rely on seasonable, seasonal rains, and when there isn't enough to power them, Sichuan turns to coal. Oh, my God. A study shared by head of growth at Kraken, Dan Held, suggested that mining in the Sichuan region is more than 90% renewable, resulting in Bitcoin's entire network being almost 78% renewable. The figures vary, and the University of Cambridge suggests that actual figures is that the actual figure is much lower as for the renewables. Although the university states that 76% of cryptocurrency miners use electricity from renewable energy sources, it found that only 39% of the total energy consumption by proof-of-work cryptocurrencies comes from renewable energy. All right, they're setting up to use Ethereum as an attack vector on Bitcoin. That's what the media is, that's what they're doing, okay? Um, 
but Ethereum actually has to successfully move to Ethereum 2.0 and a proof of stake. And the first thing that's going to happen is that the game theory is going to come out of the woodwork and it's going to crush that fucking chain. The only way to really do this is proof of work. There are several methods of, well, there's at least, well, okay, there, I believe that there are several methods to actually make Bitcoin mining green, but it still requires proof of work. It still requires plugging miners in, into energy sources. There's at least one idea that I have myself that I think I'm about to write the, the whole proposal up and see if I can get it funded. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't knocked on doors like that since I started a, well, since I started a company in, in Lubbock for uh, synthetic gene construction and, and uh, DNA sequencing. I got that funded. I might as well get this one funded. But in the end, <clears throat> it uses waste uh, material to create a type of gas that is combustible in a power generator. And I looks like I found a system that generates 35 megawatts. That's not bad. <laughs> That's not a bad deal, man. 35 megawatts is nothing to sneeze at when it comes to, to Bitcoin mining. And you know what you're left over with? Pure carbon, pure carbon, not as much as not as much of the carbon that went in to the system, but about 5% comes back, you know, 5% by weight of the material that you put in comes back as carbon. You put carbon into the soil, all of a sudden, all types of soil, bacteria, fungus, little critters, they all come back. And you know what they all, what healthy soil has a tendency to do? It absorbs CO2 and sequesters it. So not only do I put carbon in the soil and in a pure carbon format in the soil, you know how long it lasts? About 10,000 years, as best as we can tell. As long as it's buried, it'll never, ever be in the atmosphere again for 10,000 years and probably a lot longer than that. I'm just saying, man, I'm just saying. Uh, I won't get into that anymore. Let's go on to Russia. Uh, the Russians are at it again. Russia has imported its largest Bitcoin miner batch. Oh, well, I thought that they were going to ban it. I thought that it was illegal. Why the hell are they mining it? God only knows. You never know what the Russians are going to do, right? Uh, Helen Parts apparently knows at least something about it. She's writing this for Cointelegraph. Russia has reportedly imported thousands of Bitcoin mining devices amid a massive surge in the, God, crypto market. A senior executive at BitRiver the largest crypto mining co-location service provider in Russia claimed that the that a local client received over 20,000 crypto mining devices. Russian news agency Commerzent reports on February the 10th. BitRiver founder, founder and CEO Igor Runnit said that the total mining power of the imported hardware amounts to 70 megawatt hours, which is reportedly estimated to make up the largest single batch of crypto mining hardware in Russia. Runitz said that the hardware was delivered in December of 2020 and was immediately set up for Bitcoin mining in Bratsk, a city in Russia that has one of the country's largest hydropower stations. Runitz noted that the mining rigs were imported from Asia. A spokesperson from BitRiver told Cointelegraph that the company cannot disclose either the name of the Russian client or the exact country that exported the hardware. The representative added that the mining data center was established 
at one at one of BitRiver's locations. BitRiver did not disclose the exact type of crypto miners imported. According to Commerzant, the imported batch was priced between $40 million and $60 million. Despite Russia adopting a crypto law on digital financial assets in January of 2021, there's a certain level of uncertainty about crypto mining in the country as the law does not provide a clear regulatory framework for the industry. In September of 2020, local authorities even proposed to prohibit Russian crypto minings from receiving payment from mining crypto. Good luck. I mean, the best you can do is just shut down their operation, but you can't, I mean, as long as they're in operation, you, you can't stop them from receiving payment. That's you know, the, the best you can do is take over their mining facility and run it yourself. Um, now, staying with Russia, because, you know, Russia, Bitcoin flippin's Russian ruble after Tesla purchase. Turner Wright, writing for Cointelegraph, tells us about it and says, after hitting a new all-time high of more than $48,000 earlier today, the market capitalization of Bitcoin has surpassed the total market cap of the Russian ruble. This was, in fact, 18 hours ago, by the way. According to data from Asset Dash, Bitcoin's market cap is $871 billion at the time of publication. This exceeds the money supply of the Russian ruble, which as of January was estimated to be 58.6 trillion rubles, currently valued at $791.1 billion US. The crypto asset has also overtaken Tesla Motors in market capitalization after a brief retreat yesterday. The car manufacturer's market cap is $813 billion at the time of publication, having fallen 1.8% in the last 24 hours. The price rise that led to Bitcoin flipping the ruble in value followed news that Tesla purchased $1.5 billion in Bitcoin to be held as an investment and store of value for its excess cash. The price of Bitcoin subsequently surged to $48,200 and has since fallen below $4,700. Dude, Bitcoin, oh, let's just get this one. Bitcoin's market cap was already worth more than the total value of many fiat currencies around the world including the Mexican peso at roughly $731 billion. It's just, I mean, it's cra- at this point, I think it's the eighth largest currency in the world, whether it's a, do- a currency, a company. I think it's just chilling out at number eight in valuation across the board. That's amazing, people. Give yourself a round of applause. You deserve it after the shit we've going, been going through. Argo blockchain plans new Bitcoin mining facility in Texas. So coming closer to my home, mining apparently is also occurring. Coindesk's uh, Tanzil Akhtar is going to write this one. Uh, publicly traded Bitcoin mining company Argo blockchain is planning to acquire land in West Texas for a new mining facility. Okay. West Texas. Let's tell you about West Texas. It's hot. But all of Texas is hot. Okay, pretty much, I mean, in the summertime, the whole damn thing is on fire, honestly. It's just blazing hot. The difference between Central and East Texas and West Texas is the humidity in general. It is dry as a freaking bone on the West side of Texas where I'm at. Central Texas pretty, is pretty humid. East Texas, like get around Houston, you don't, unless you were born around the Potomac River, you don't know what humidity is. Okay, just saying. 
London Stock Exchange listed Argo uh, said Wednesday it had signed a non-binding letter of intent with New York-based DPN LLC to acquire 320 acres of land to build a 200-megawatt data center over the next 12 months. The cost of the acquisition would be $17.5 million funded via the issuance and allotment of DPN of ordinary shares in Argo. Once the agreement is in place, $5 million worth of new ordinary shares will be issued, money printer go burr, to DPN, followed by a further $12.5 million of shares in installments as contractual milestones are met, money printer go burr. Quote, we are incredibly excited about this proposed acquisition, said Peter Wall, CEO of Argo Blockchain. It gives Argo tremendous control over its mining operations as well as significant capacity for expansion. The company will use $100 million credit facility to construct the center and kit it out with miners. In choosing the Texas location, Argo has been able to secure access to some of the cheapest renewable energy worldwide. Guys, it looks like they're going after uh, natural gas. Uh for the same reasons that Marty Bent and uh, Great American Mining are going after natural gas up in where's it, Wyoming and Montana, I believe. Uh, West Texas has is replete with natural gas, and they're having to flare it here just like everywhere else. You might as well capture it and mine Bitcoin with it and give the oil producers a better price, which ends up being a much better price than the what did I quote today? $2.70 for a thousand cubic feet of natural gas. You know why it's so freaking cheap? Because it's everywhere. Like the IPFS is everywhere. This is our last story for the night, or sorry, night, the morning. Decrypt Diaries, why we built on IPFS. And as you would imagine, this is from decrypt.co. Josh Quinter is writing this one sometime yesterday. One of the core ideas of Decrypt, the actual magazine, is to use the web 3.0 technologies that we cover. Decentralized tech isn't just an idle curiosity to us. In the coming months, our goal is to actually become a web 3 medium. To that end, last fall, we started chatting with Juan Bennett, one of the seminal features in the burgeoning movement to decentralize the web. A Stanford University computer science grad, Bennett, 32, is the father of the interplanetary file system, a remarkable protocol that will help us move Decrypt onto the decentralized web. How? Well, that's the idea behind the IPFS Diary, an occasional series that will document our progress. We actually ported over Decrypt.co to IPFS in November. Ryan Babinski, one of our brilliant co-founders, has been overseeing the project. One might, or one might, wait, one night too, not too long ago, I Zoomed with him to get a better understanding of what all was involved in that risk, which will be detailed in this diary in the coming weeks. But first, we discuss the overall benefit of putting Decrypt and its archives on the decentralized web. Beyond this just being a cool demonstration of the technology, mirroring our content on IPFS means that our articles will be available to anyone who wants to reach them, anyone who has access to the IPFS network, Ryan explained. That means Decrypt will be available permanently in a way that the web as we know it cannot handle. That sort of confused me. The web seems pretty permanent to me. In fact, there are plenty of people who complain that it's too permanent that it never forgets, and that stories or information about a person who may have done something stupid as a kid can still affect their reputation years later, which is certainly true and which is something that down the road we will need to address. 
But it's also true that lots of legitimately useful information is lost when websites go offline due to technical issues, are shuttered, or censored. Quote, the web fundamentally comes down to pages and links between those pages. And it turns out those links, hyperlinks, are actually very fragile. There are so many pieces of technology that exist just to make sure that those links work. And if any layer of that fails, DNS resolution, the server hosting the pages down, network traffic or availability fails, then the link breaks. And the thing that makes the web so amazing, its interconnectedness simply disappears. IPFS, which is a distributed peer-to-peer network composed of countless nodes run by anyone who wants to run one, solves that problem. There are two things that Ryan cited as being critical to the system. One is that the storage is redundant or replicated across many servers. So if one node of the IPFS network goes down, others are available to take its place. You've got you've got kind of a failover redundancy. And the second thing that's really interesting is the way the link works on the IPFS network. The content itself dictates the link. So any article or any text, if the text is exactly the same, will always have the same link. The linking system itself is pretty ingenious, he said. The link is just a hash of the content that you're looking for. That is kind of cool. In this instance, the cryptographic hash is a long string of numbers that creates a one-way link to a digital snapshot of the particular content one is pinned to IPFS. And so that means that the links are far more resilient. They can't really be broken or taken down or hijacked in the way that the kind of traditional DNS resolution or IP resolution uh, can be hijacked, said Ryan. So we get availability and we get resilience. That sounded pretty good to me. Decrypt preserved throughout the ages in a way that no human or government or hacker could alter or take down. In fact, if you go to the bottom of any decrypt article, you will see the IPFS box logo next to the other various options for sharing. Click that box and you will see a mirror image of the story preserved indelibly for eternity on the interplanetary file system, which is unspeakably cool and kind of daunting. So how did we actually put decrypt on IPFS? We stood up a node, said Ryan. Um, don't worry about Filecoin. Filecoin just attaches to IPFS. It's not, Filecoin is not necessary to appreciate understand and access IPFS. That's why Filecoin is just a worthless pile of garbage like all the rest of the shit coins are. But IPFS itself, okay? Filecoin shit, but IPFS itself is important. And the fact that I can just stand up a node and be part of that gives me the same good vibes and, and hits me in the feels like standing up my own Bitcoin full node. And this is why I want the following. And I'm looking at crypto cloaks to build the shell, but they've already, I think they've already got it. Um, I need a storage box with fans, a built-in power supply, and a, like a basically, a, a, you know, all the stuff that I need to run, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five Raspberry Pis. Why? I want one Raspberry Pi as a head node, in a, actually, what I want is a small Beowulf enclosure, okay? If you don't know what a Beowulf is, search for Raspberry Pi and Beowulf. Beowulf, I think it's B-E-O-W-U-L-F. It's the guy, it's the hero from the story, Beowulf. If you've never read Beowulf, you should probably read it. It's an old Norse, uh, you think of it as a Viking story, but it's it's cool. Anyway, so Beowulf 
systems are small, you know, small to large, medium to fairly large computer systems that are like basically a parallel computing system. So what I want is I want one I, uh, uh, Raspberry Pi 4 to act as a head node that controls all the other nodes. And I want one node to basically be my, uh, or one Raspberry Pi that's plugged into the head node to be my Bitcoin full node. I want the second one to be a failover clone of said Bitcoin full node. I want another node to stand up an IPFS. And I want a fourth node to do something else, all of which I can access, all of those nodes I can access through the web, through the, Bit, or through the Beowulf head node, just like I use uh, my, my uh, Bitcoin full node right now. If somebody can build that for me, please do it because we're gonna get into a situation coming very soon where we're gonna need that we're going to need like a stack of Raspberry Pis, each one running an instance of something that is not interfering with our main computing needs, like surfing the web, you know, recording audio, all that kind of stuff. So please, if you know how to build a Beowulf system, because my time is getting getting kind of scarce here, uh, please, please do it and build a guide and make it like with a copy of a Bitcoin full node and, and like IPFS and a couple of other things, each one of them running as an instance, as the only instance on a particular Raspberry Pi 4 in a stack of Raspberry Pi 4s that are all connected to a head node. And that's the node that I communicate with via my web browser to get to all the other shit there. Okay. If you could do that to, for me, that'd be great. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, that's going to do it. Was it is today Tuesday or is it Wednesday? Yeah, it's Wednesday. God, time's flying, bro. Uh <clears throat> have a good hump day. All right? Go out, do good things, do good work. If you like the show, do me a favor, spend some of your precious precious time cuz I know it is precious to go over to iTunes, give me a five-star review, share the podcast out, let people know about it, help me get this thing out. And, and, and I, cause I really do want to grow the show. I'm a terrible marketer. I, I can't help it. They don't teach marketing in high school and college. I mean, unless you actually take marketing in college, but even then you're probably not actually taking real marketing. You're taking some, you're, it's like, I would imagine that it's exactly like taking economics in college. They teach you the bullshit economics so that you can function in the bullshit part of the fiat world. I need actual marketing and I suck at it. So if you could give me a hand, five-star reviews, sharing, let people know about it, put it on other social media, man, it would be a, it would be a great help to me and I would sincerely appreciate it. So again, have a great day for your hump day this Wednesday and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.